having to deal with like my grief and Dylan's grief, the kids, it just changes you as a person and puts things in perspective and yeah, I'm definitely very different, I'd like to think. <laughs> I wouldn't it? You know, if I could go back as this person, maybe, but no. No. It's it just changes you. On a storm torn shoreline, a woman was standing. The spray hung like jewels in her hand. Need the rock, the rock of that desolate landing. Oh, as though there were none, she stood there. Nicola Crean, my guest this week. You're very welcome, Nicola. Thank you. And again, Nicola is bringing a whole other theme to the Shapes of Grief podcast. And I'm so grateful that you're here and you're willing to talk about your experience, Nicola. As I've said before, I receive emails almost daily from people who really need to hear other people's stories so that they feel a little less crazy and a little less alone and understand that Grief is, it's an emotion that we share with all of humanity. And sometimes it can feel like we're the only ones grieving in the world. So these stories are so important to let people know you're not alone. It's not just you. Someone else knows a little bit of what you've been through. So we have to go back to London to where your story begins and where you met your ex-husband, Paul. Yeah. So I was doing my internship in uh, Roehampton in London and he I was working with him for six months he was my training officer yes the forbidden fruit yes. huh? <laughs> yeah so you started and a relationship and yeah. how did that progress um so we lived in London Paul was Paul had a son Charlie who was six I think when we met Um, he was separated he wasn't married but he was separated from Charlie's mum and yeah we met at work and quite quickly got together then very quickly moved in together and yeah I've spent three years in London and then he got a job down in Hampshire and we moved out and went to live down in Bishop's Walton which is, he was working down in Dorset, in, um, near Bournemouth, and I got a job down in Portsmouth. So we moved down there and got married and had Dylan. And then when Dylan was two, Paul got very sick. He was in the hospital for a couple of weeks, actually. What sort of sickness did he have? Um, they, they don't know, to be honest. They think it was sarcoidosis. And he ended up, yeah, I was worried that I was going to lose him then. But he was in hospital for a couple of weeks. He was in intensive care for a week. He ended up, it was, it affected his heart. And apparently they think it was sarcoidosis. They're not 100% sure. And 90% of people with it, when it affects your heart, die. So right. he was quite lucky. <laughs> yeah. Um, he had a defibrillator and a, an ICD fitted. So if his heart... His heart went into um, funny rhythms, so it just paced his heart again and shocked him if he needed it. 
So that was his, Dylan used to call it his magic box. Mm. Yeah. He had, so that so was very his, shocking for a relatively young man to have to go through that. Yeah. Yeah. That was quite traumatic for all of us. Mm. Yeah. Did it change things then in the relationship or for Paul? Um, I don't think he was ever the same after that, personally. What did you notice? He, he was just different and distance and I don't know, he just wasn't, he just wasn't himself after it. I know that sounds silly. Um, it definitely changed him. He wasn't as attentive to us as a family, I think. After so you that. lost a little bit of him. Yeah, to definitely. That yeah. Yeah. And I think he did worry about having this and you know it, it kept him alive. Yeah. That basically, yeah, this box in his chest. I'm sure it came with all sorts of death anxiety and he didn't talk about he he was not very good at talking, Paul, so he, okay. he really didn't didn't talk about it a lot. So he sat on any fear that may have been there yeah. or any distress yeah. over yeah. the illness. Yeah. And his life moving forward, which was living mm. with a magic box. Yeah. To recalibrate his heart. Yeah. I mean, that's a, a huge it's life trauma big. to go through. Yeah, with a toddler. Yeah. He couldn't drive for six months, which was really hard. He didn't work for about two or three months, and I used to have to drive him to work, and then get Dylan to nursery, then get myself to work. Yeah, it was really hard. It was mm. for about six months. And then Meg came along. And then Meg came along. <laughs> mm. And then... Yeah, just then we moved house <laughs> to Swanmore. Maggie was two. And then we were in the house about a year. He never, he never really wanted to move. Mm. He was, it was a beautiful house that we moved to. It was a fabulous house. It was a lovely big house. And he never felt comfortable living there. That sounds silly, mm. but he like he came from a council estate in Kent. Hi everyone, excuse this brief interruption. It's Liz here and I wanted to tell you about my grief training program. If you are interested in becoming grief literate or grief trained, I've designed a comprehensive online program which you can do at your own pace in your own time. It's been designed primarily for healthcare providers, but we all have a right to grief training and education. So if you're interested, then it's for you too. Sign up today at shapesofgrief.com. Now, back to the podcast. He never thought he deserved to live somewhere like that. Okay. That's so you're going through, yeah, I really can get that. You're going through, you know, you have a toddler. Yeah. Your new husband is deathly ill. You're trying to keep a job down. Your husband comes back, but with Mm. a box to Mm. keep him alive. You have another baby and a house move. Yeah. And (laughs) and you're working full time. Yeah. So the space to process Mm. any of it Mm. just wasn't there. And in the meantime, you've lost a little bit of him. Yeah, yeah. So when you say you moved to this beautiful house, this dream home, and Paul just felt he didn't deserve it, was his self-esteem very low? Um, he was very quiet. He, he used to drink quite a lot. Was that something he did before you married? Yeah, yeah. But you conveniently yeah. didn't see that. Yeah. yeah. I think I used to... I, I held everything together 
yeah. if I'm honest, yeah. and got on with my life and brought him along. He came with me. Yeah. 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 And it's only kind of more recently that I've kind of realized this, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so you led the house move. Yeah. You brought yeah. all the family there. You got him to yeah. work. Yeah. So you really had to ramp up a gear. Yes. To take over the responsibilities yeah. of two adults. Yeah. Mm. So things started to go pear-shaped with um, Paul. Well, he just became more and more distant. We um, we were in the house a year, not even a year, and he told me he was in love with somebody else, and he, yeah, he didn't know what to do. He was, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what was your initial response to that news? Uh, well, let me tell you about the night he told me. Was I thought I was trying my best. I was trying to reconnect with him and I'd booked to go out for dinner we had a babysitter we were walking down the road and never forget it. we were walk we lived in the country be beautiful countryside where we lived and we walked down the lane to this lovely pub that we used to sometimes go to and I said I just don't know what's wrong with you I just don't know what's wrong like what is it and he says well actually I've been having an affair and I think I'm in love with somebody else and just like that, said it matter of fact, yeah. Well, look, I just went into shock and tried to keep my family together. So you would put his distance down to still recuperating from his surgery, yeah. not feeling great about yeah. the move, mm. you know, getting used to having two small yeah. children, yeah, holding it all together, yeah, and he's with somebody else, yeah. yeah. And then he left the next day. He left. And we didn't see him for a couple of weeks. So no, from let's get a babysitter and book dinner and try and reconnect to 24 hours later, he's gone. He's gone. My gosh. Yeah. Claire. I can't even begin to imagine what that night or yeah. that morning was like for you. Well, yeah, I didn't tell anybody for the whole weekend. It was a Friday night and I had to babysit I was meant to be babysitting my friend's kids that weekend. And I went and I looked after them. And we had an au pair at the time staying with us and she stayed in the house and minded my two kids. And I stayed in my friend's house and minded her kids. I did ring my friend on the Saturday evening, one of my best friends, Kate, who I love dearly. And she came over to me. She's like, you need to tell your parents you need to tell people I suppose part of me was hoping that I could just fix it you know this is just a blip he'll be yeah. back on Monday yeah. and we'll be grand and he did he came back on Sunday night and we talked and then he left on Monday morning and then I didn't see him for two weeks didn't he I think I got an email from him to be honest I, I don't really think look it's like um, my life went from, you know, two kids living in the country with my husband to an episode of EastEnders with, you know, the, this girl that he was with was meant to be getting married. Yeah. So it was um, a bit mad. And I don't think he would have said anything to me or told me, only that she had already told everybody. 
that she was at with work. him. Yeah. Okay. So you knew but she her. wasn't getting married because she was with Paul. Okay. So he hadn't got a choice really but to tell me. Yeah, and it was it was madness. But actually, sounds I rang my mum and dad, and I told them, and they blessed. They were straight over. They drove. They drove straight over to me, and they stayed for a couple of weeks, I think. But like you know, you just you have to get on. You have to get up. You have to get the kids to school. You have to go to work. But after a week or so, it was it it was like somebody came and wiped all the windows clean and I could suddenly see properly. I remember saying that at the time to a, a counsellor that I was seeing at work. And she says, yeah, she says, you've just been holding everything together for a long time mm. and something had to give. Um, so it was really hard, you know, for a few months. I came back here for holidays as often as I could. And went backwards and forwards, and well, we tr- we talked. When I say we talked, we like we didn't fight, you know. We did talk. I tried to reason with him. I tried to, but I think he was just incapable of taking responsibility and acting as an adult. If I'm honest, yeah. And actually sitting down, he just wanted to run away, really. And at what point did you decide to stop trying and move on with your life in whatever way you could? I don't think there was. I remember once we met one evening, I don't know how many months afterwards, we met one evening in a pub in in Walton Chase. We met in the pub and he walked in and he started. He started with, yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort myself out. And I, I was giving him, I said, go and live on your own. Let's see if we can sort this. Let's see if we can resolve things. Um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to. And I'd heard this so many times before. And I remember sitting there going, Nicola, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I said, you know what, Paul, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And I just walked out and I left. And after that, he decided, oh, no, actually, oh, no, I, I am going to. I really am. I said, fine, go and do it. You know, but he never did do anything to try and resolve things. But So resolve his drinking, resolve his relationship. He never managed to do any of that. No. Did his drinking get worse in the time that you were separated? I don't know, yeah. really, to be honest. I don't know. Um, so you talked to me before about one moment walking on the beach here in Greystones. Yeah, I came back as much as I could. I came back and nobody ever said to me, just come back to Ireland. I didn't know what I should do. You know, I had a job over there. The kids were in school. Well, Dylan was in school. Maggie hadn't started school. I had a, a, you know, a good job and I loved my house. I loved my life there. I love my friends. They were really great friends, but I couldn't do it on my own. Like I really couldn't and Paul wasn't helping me really, you know, he didn't work on a Friday, so he would mind the kids on Fridays and I did go away at weekends, you know, I'd, he'd come and see the kids because we never, you know, I never, even through all of this, I never hated him, never hated him and 
So he used to come and stay at the weekends. I'd go away to friend, go and stay in a friend down the road just so he could be with the kids. I really wanted him to be and remain part of their lives. And then I was home. I think it was Easter, like we separated in July and it was the following Easter. I was home on the beach and I was with my brother, Mark. And I just, he said, what's wrong? I just kept crying and crying. He says, what's wrong with you? I said, Mark, I don't want to go back. I just don't want to go back. And he said, Nick, you have to go back this time. Okay, you have to go back. He said, but you don't have to stay there. And I was like, but I do my jobs there and I have to. And he said, no, you can do anything you want. Okay. And I remember him like literally grabbing me by the shoulders and just not shaking me. But it was like when he said that, it was like, inside I just went oh my god I actually can I can yeah. do this I can do whatever I want to do and you just really needed to hear it yeah. from somebody yeah. you trusted yeah how great that he's that kind yeah. of brother for you yeah. and my family could see that I was in pain you know mm. it was so hard and you know coming home wasn't easy but mm. like bless so <laughs> like when I want to do things I get things done so that was it I went back mm. after Easter. I didn't tell the kids. I met Paul the following week and I said, look, Paul, I want to go home. I want to go back to Ireland. And he said, I thought you might. Not, no, please don't take my children away. No, you can't do that. Yeah, I thought you might. He said, what am I going to do? That was his. So you know, despite the fact that he walked out, um, you were still very much a touchstone for him and his life. Yeah. He had you there. And uh, I don't, yeah. And anyway, very quickly put the house on the market. And mm. I, I am lucky that he didn't stop me. He could have stopped me coming home. And I know other people who haven't been allowed to leave the country because mm. their spouses won't let them. And, he, you know, I knew he would never do that to me or mm. to the kids. And he knows how much my family mean to me. And... Like they were his family as well. Yeah. So not only they, did he lose you, but he lost a, yeah, a really they, beautiful mm, family. They loved him. Yeah. And yeah. So, yeah, we moved home. I sold the house and moved home. What was that um, like, that final trip, knowing that you wouldn't be going back? It was actually comical. It was quite funny. I remember closing the door of the house in Swanmore, the house that I dreamed of and that I loved and locking the door my my mum had flown home with the two kids my dad and myself had loaded up the lorry the lorry had come we'd loaded up the lorry with all of our stuff and then dad and I got everything into my car and packed the car up the only thing that was left the goldfish bowl and we put it in the back of the car with the goldfish still in there and <laughs> we locked the door and I was actually so happy I thought I would be devastated. I was so happy. Locked the door. Now, there was part of me that was obviously sad, so sad, leaving my friends, but happy that I'd managed to follow through with the decision and drop the key in with the estate agent. And myself and my dad drove to the ferry that we were meant to be getting. The next, I can't remember. But anyway, about half an hour into the journey, my dad laughed. He says, oh, 
He said, there's a ferry in three hours. I said, Dad, we wouldn't make it, would he? he did, well, we might. So <laughs> it was actually a real fun journey. We drove, my dad drove and we got the ferry by about half an hour. We managed to get oh onto the ferry. So we arrived in Wexford. Mum and dad were in Wexford for this. They go down there for the summer. So myself and my dad, we got onto the ferry, sat down and my dad says, I think we deserve a pint. <laughs> I think it was midnight and we had a pint and then we got, no, it must have, I don't know, the middle of the night because then we drove straight to the house in Wexford and it was like seven or eight in the you morning. You probably got there before the others on the plane, did you? No, they'd gone a day okay. or two before, okay. but they were all in bed. So we arrived, yeah. woke them up, yeah, and arrived back with our goldfish. Yeah. <laughs> goldfish and tides. Yeah. 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 Wow. And then... So you literally a whole new life, a whole new slate. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It was. It wasn't easy. Adjusting to life back here was difficult, but it was good. I took. I decided had to take been, a year off. How long had it been before you, since you had lived here? I was eighteen when I left. Okay. Yeah. And you were went what, to university. Thirty coming 36, back. 30, 35, 36. Okay. Yeah, 35. So you'd done all your growing I'd up lived in, the UK. in the UK. Yeah, yeah. 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 So. What were the challenges you faced back here? Well, over in England, um, I suppose we used to spend every weekend with friends. And over here, everybody's with their family a lot at weekends. I don't know. I just missed having my friends. Really missed my friends and also not working I decided I needed to take time out I needed to get the kids settled get them sorted and I was lucky and actually my boss in England she she kept my job open for me she yeah. knew I wouldn't be back but she just said let's give you a year off uh, and lovely. then if you want to come back you can come back I'm so really struck by that. people's kindness mm. actually just that image of your mom and yeah. dad going yeah. over and packing you yeah. up and rescuing you really rescuing yeah. their daughter yeah. from total distress yeah yeah so you settled back here it took a while what were the biggest challenges you faced back here um apart from you know missing your friends at weekends and that well financially like you know we'd sold the house in england but really we you know i'm i paid the rent up front on a place that we got here but I had, like, I had to go on, you know, lone parent allowance. I wasn't working. And, but do you know what? We actually had some really fun times in that. I used to cycle around. People used to go, you're that lady with the tag along. So me and Meg, because she wasn't in school. So she went to Montessori. Montessori just next door here. And I used to drop Dylan at school. And then it was such a fabulous, um, we had like an Indian summer that year, I remember. So all of September, October, we used to drop Dylan and then me and Meg would go down to the sea and we'd just cycle along by the sea. Then I'd drop her and then I used to go running. Yeah, I used to run. Had you been a runner in the UK? I used to run a little bit, but not a huge amount. So I'd only started over the probably year or so before yeah. I left, but not. It was just fun, really, you know, getting out with my friends. But over here I joined fit for life and met some crazy 
great girls who I still see now and everybody had a story to tell mm. so everybody was go seemed to be going through something in their life and uh, yeah so I just used to do that and then things it was one of the one of the hardest things was Dylan was very sad he was sad leaving his dad and Paul didn't see them when we moved back until the Christmas and that was really hard and I had to really not make him see them but really push him to see them to get on a plane and come over mm. yeah yeah I say they need to see you and I remember him once saying it's just too difficult you know so you were still carrying that yeah. responsibility mm. despite the fact that you were separated. You know, he's yeah. the adult. They need you. But anyway, he did come over at Christmas and then it things kind of, you know, got better that I would fly them over there and they'd stay with him for a couple of weeks. So they might spend maybe two weeks in the summer, a week at Easter, maybe four or five weeks of the, they always used to go on um, after Christmas. So the 26th or the 27th, they'd go for a week then, and then maybe three or four other weeks. And did that work out for them and for you and for Paul? It, it worked out. Yeah, I think it did. It did, it did and it didn't. It was stressful for Megan, a little bit stressful for Megan. You know, Dill used to mind her, he used to bring her over. On the plate, well, because she be was together. so little yeah. when you left, mm. yeah. So she mm. was used to it just being us, you know. Then she'd be thrown into staying with daddy for a week, but she was like, she loved her daddy, so she was happy to stay with him. And he was with his, you know, partner at the time, and she was very good to them, Joe. Uh, so it did work, and it, I lived for those. Yeah, two weeks. It's exhausting week. being a single parent. So I used to go away on holidays, or yeah, just I used to always do something with that time. Yeah, have something yeah. for you to look mm. forward to to keep you yeah. going. Back to the running, Nicola. Yeah. Do you think that was survival? Yeah, I remember my dad saying to me, "You don't have to run all the time. You don't have to run every day." Yeah, Dad, but like, it's way cheaper than antidepressants. <laughs> Yeah, amazing point. <laughs> I said it keeps me sane. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. So you knew to do that naturally, yeah. that if you run, you feel, feel okay. Better. Yeah. Yeah. So much better. So how long did this setup go on for? Um, Once you come back, how many years were the children going back and forth? Or Five years until he died. Yeah. Okay. So, and he came over here. His relationship didn't work out. So he, uh, that ended the Christmas before he died or before the Christmas, yeah. Mm. He came over here a few times, but the last, yeah, he was over with us just a month before he died. And we had a weekend together, which was really nice mm. for the kids. You know, they never saw, you know, obviously at the beginning, I was upset, I was in shock, but we never really fought. They never saw us fighting because we weren't, we didn't fight. We were just sad, you know, yeah. well, I was just sad. So for them, yeah, it was lovely for them. I remember going to Bocelli's for dinner 
yeah one evening before he went back with the kids and they loved it they really loved it just that sense of normalcy yeah. with both with your dad parents being there and mum being there and yeah 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 and I'm and friends of ours came with us that we you know they hadn't seen Paul and how did you find him that weekend really sad mm. broken yeah and yeah I remember saying goodbye to him And I remember thinking, I just, I remember ringing my friend and just saying, I just don't know what it is, but I just, you know, he, oh, Paul just said sorry all the time. And when he was here for that week or that weekend that we were together, he just kept saying, I'm so, I can't, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for what I've put you through. And I'm like, Paul, we're okay. Like, I'm okay. The kids are okay. But he just, he was really riddled with guilt, I think. But he could also see the life that he'd left. You know, we have, I managed to have, we have a lovely house now, myself and the kids, and he stayed with us. I don't know, because we didn't, he did talk about moving here. And he had contacts to ring. He could easily have worked over here, no problem. But I remember saying goodbye at the airport. And just thinking, I don't know what would felt. I just felt like I wasn't going to see him again. Which, and I, he, he used to say things, you know, and he did that weekend. They've got you. They're so lucky. You know, you're the best mum ever. They don't need a stupid dad like me. I remember him saying to me once. And I, I said, Paul, don't say that. They love you. Like, they really love you. Yeah. He didn't think very much of himself. Yeah, that's clear. Mm. And you were right. Mm. Your gut instinct. Yeah, I don't know. And my memory, ringing my friend, I was like, I just, I said, he's broken, he's broken. He even, he looked about a foot shorter. Mm. He was, and she said, Nick, after everything he's put you through, like, don't be worrying. You can't do anything. You tried and tried. You can't do anything else. You can't help him. And I came home. The kids went over to see him again, I think, a week or two later. And when they came back from that, Dylan said to me, Mummy, Daddy's so sad. He's so sad. And, yeah. And I did like we talked you know and he seemed to be okay on the phone um and the day that he died yes he used we used to send him pictures from my phone um and i sent him a picture because he was a mad music fan and here's meggie had this dress that she loved and it was a it was a dress and it had the rolling stones lips on it (laughs) and she used to love wearing it she used to think daddy lo- loves this um, and I remember sending him a photo of it and he just said thanks and he said I remember him replying and he said and I don't, he said I'm sitting here in tears looking at a photo but I didn't look I was busy and 
the day went on and I didn't think anything, yeah. Yeah. And what happened next? Uh, it wasn't on Monday. You know, we had we were busy then Sunday, Monday. Maggie was just she was loved riding her bike. So we were out and she was riding her bike. She was wait, see see how fast I can go. See if I can go so fast. And I remember we walked from I live in Redford and we'd walk past my mum and dad had moved to Redford at that stage. So I'd walk past mum and dad's and we'd walk along the lane and she was doing going as fast as she could down through Rat Down along the road it was quiet and I got a phone call and it was Paul's other son Charlie who's 26 who lives in England and I just knew as soon as I picked up the phone he went Nick and I said what is it Charlie and he went Nick it's awful it's it's dad and I thought please don't tell me anything and he just said he's dead he's dead I said, what do you mean he's dead, Charlie? He says, he's, he's dead. I never forget that minute. And Meg was racing away from me on the road. And I had to just put the phone in the pocket. I said, Charlie, I'll ring you back. I'll ring you back. Put my phone in my pocket. And I had to get Meg and walk back. She didn't know anything was wrong. We walked back to mum and dad's. And I just said, um, Meg, I, I went into my mum and I said, Mum, can you please bring Meg home? We had an au pair living with us. Can you please bring Meg home to the au pair? I can't remember her name. <laughs> and then come back here. And she did. Poor mum, she didn't ask any questions. I said, just please. And then I just told my dad. He's so sensible. <laughs> and then my mum was back within two seconds. And look, you're just in complete shock. I yeah. don't know what to do. What do I do? What do I do? Like, it was late as well. Mm. And I had to ring his sister and tell his sister. And then I was just going to go home and go to bed. <laughs> and my, my dad says, Nick, you have to tell the kids. I said, no, 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 it's fine. I'll, I'll tell them tomorrow or the next day or... No, you really need to tell them. And I thought, I can't. Like, how, how do you... Yeah. How, how can I tell them? So you went into total shock, Nicola. And, yeah. And mm. then I went back to the house and, yeah. And I told them. Yeah. And, oh, Megan, they were both devastated. Dylan just collapsed. He was... He was very close to his dad. They had a real special bond. And he was just floored. Yeah, we all were, but he was, yeah. And then I kind of, it all seemed so surreal. I remember Dylan, I, I slept up in the loft and he could, I couldn't leave him. I couldn't leave him for a second. And he just came up to, and Meg went to bed and he came up to bed with me, Dylan, and he just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And he ended up falling asleep, lying on top of me. And he was 11. And 
I remember I was so angry. Oh my God. And I was so angry and I couldn't move because he was lying on top of me. And anyway, when he did finally fall asleep, I remember going, I have big skylights. And I just remember going out and opening the skylight and shouting up at the sky, you fucking bastard. Yeah. I was so cross. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't tell them that day how he died. And I woke up the next day and I don't know what possessed me. Like I, <laughs> I went into, look, I suppose I was on my own with the kids anyway. You know, obviously it was shocking. It was awful for them. I got up and started getting dressed to go to work. And my mum came over. She's like, what are you doing? I just have to go to work. I have to go to work, mum. She's like, no, you don't. It's okay. And I went, no, no, I, no, I do. I do. Yeah. And she, Dylan couldn't go to school. He couldn't do anything. And I should have stayed at home with him. I didn't. Meg wanted to go to school. She liked me. She went to school. And Dylan uh, went to Granny's and did the gardening with Granny. Your parents must have been in shock yeah, as well. Absolutely. They're that bit yeah. removed that they could see mm. the impact this was going to have on all of you. And I went to work for a few hours and then I left. <laughs> then you realise this yeah. is not where I'm yeah. meant to be. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I actually, I, I'm, I met one of the psychologists at work and all the whole time it had just been going through my head. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? How am I going to tell the kids? What am I, I'll just tell them that he had a heart attack. I'll just tell them that he, that something happened, you know? And uh, I remember I said, this gorgeous psychologist, she's lovely. And she just said, you know, it's okay. And I said, no, what, what am I going to do? What am I going to tell them? And she just looked at me and she says, you know what you're going to tell them? And I go, I have to tell them. And she says, yeah, you do. And I was like, oh God. So, yeah, I don't think I told him that day, maybe it was a day or two days, mm. a few days later, I took Dylan, because I suppose I hadn't really processed it. Uh, Dylan, I took Dylan for a walk and Dylan knew. I didn't have to, I did tell him, but he said, yeah, mommy, I, I knew daddy was really sad, you know, and he said, he said to me, it doesn't matter how he died. The only thing that matters is he's gone. And that's the truth, you know? And Meg, so, she's hilarious. I went into her room and Meg is very matter of fact. I don't know if I've told you this. How old was she at the time? She was seven. seven. Just seven. She's, yeah, seven. And I was reading her a story. And I said, Meg, I think I didn't tell her for a few more days. Um, I said, Meg, you know that daddy died. Yeah. I said, well, do you know, you know, some people die that they have a heart attack and some people die because they have cancer and... Some people die because they're not well in their head. And daddy wasn't 
you know, well in his head and, and he didn't want to live anymore. And she went, oh, so what did he do? I said, well, daddy took his, like, spell it out to kids, you know, daddy killed himself. Seven years old. Yeah, that was really stupid. Now, mommy, can you pass me that book over there? Mm. That was it. Yeah. Wow. That was Meg's. <laughs> yeah. And she still doesn't talk about her dad. She talks about her dad. Mm. Yeah, we all we do talk about him, and mm. but she doesn't talk about. She she's when she gets sad the odd time what she did afterwards and I said are you okay Meg do you want to talk to no no I don't want to talk to anybody I'm just sad because I don't have a daddy and I said well you do have a daddy but he's you know he died and she says yes but I don't have a daddy that's alive yeah <laughs> yeah that's why I'm sad and for children it. it is very much about well what am I missing mm. what needs do yeah. I have that aren't being met yeah yeah Dylan's very different a lot more sensitive yeah than Meg he had a connection he had years a few yeah. years yeah he was more 11. than she did yeah yeah so what did it mean for you Nicola your ex-husband dying mm. yeah there's a there's a complication there and the the separation yeah you know were you allowed grieve do you feel that people minimized your grief because you'd been separated or did people get what a big thing this was for you um no i think i was i i, I don't think i allowed myself really to grieve i was too busy worrying about the kids mm. worrying about them and i was quite angry you know for not angry for a little while but then just I just couldn't understand it. I, I couldn't understand, you know, my brother got married two weeks after Paul died, two or three weeks. And oh, goodness. I remember that wedding. It was a, my poor brother. You know, it was a blur. But I remember Dylan, you know, he made them part of the service. I just, I, I read at the service. And I remember looking at the kids and just, I just said to my dad, he's going to miss all of this. Like, how, how could he, like, I just couldn't understand it for a long time. Mm -hmm. And Meg was so beautiful in her little dress that she was wearing. And I just thought, you're just going to, you know, you're not going to be there to see any of it. Do you understand it now? Sad. Hmm? Do you understand it now? Understand what? Paul and why he did it. Or why anyone I, would choose to end their life. Yeah, I just think he was in so much pain that he just couldn't carry on. And I know he couldn't. He wasn't sleeping well hmm. as well. But yeah, no. he lost a brother to suicide. So he was the second one in the family. Which, yeah, was hard for his brother and sister. So he was bereaved by suicide. Mm. And then he had this huge traumatic mm. illness. Yeah. That would have brought him close to death. And the trauma of that. Mm. And then not feeling like he deserved you and this mm. beautiful home. 
whatever underlying issues were there mm. from the beginning. But yeah. And an inability to keep a relationship. Mm. It's too much pain for him. Yeah. I don't know. Where are you with it now, these days? Um for a good I think for you know, I did concentrate for so many years on the kids. Yeah. And Dylan has struggled over the years, but he's doing okay. He's doing okay now. Um, but I think I didn't allow myself to feel, to, to feel, I just got on, just yeah. got on with things, just kept working. Kept Put on running. the work clothes and keep going. Yeah. 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 And yeah, I said to you last year, I went back to see a counsellor again, just like I had seen somebody immediately when we separated, but it was more a crisis yeah. thing. And last year I went back and it was really good, you know, just to process things. And yeah, just, I'll never forget. She, she sat there and she just said, so just give me a bit of a background. And within about, yeah, you know, a few minutes, you know, I told her that we'd separated, Paul was sick, that we'd moved back and da da da. And she said, Nicola, you have been through a huge amount and you have held it all together. And I never kind of, I never accepted that. I just, I'd never thought, you know what? I have. You were just coping with yeah. it as with whatever yeah. was thrown at you. Mm. You know, I yeah. have, and I need, and I need to look after myself, and yeah, yeah, and it's okay to be sad, yeah, yeah, and to stop and face what you've actually been through. Yeah, yeah. How would you say that the separation and then Paul's subsequent death affects your life today? Well, if you get, if you offered me to go back to the situation I was in I wouldn't go back I wouldn't go back to the person I was I'm a different person Mm. I'm a completely different person than I was when I was living over in in Swanmore well you just I think the pain that I've been through and you know the move and having to deal with my grief and Dylan's grief, the kids, it just changes you as a person and puts things in perspective. And yeah, I'm definitely very different. I'd like to think, <laughs> I wouldn't, have, you know, if I could go back as this person, maybe, but no, mm-hmm. no, it's, it just changes you. It's what just, are relationships like for you now? Yeah. Uh, just love myself (laughs) it's easier that way (laughs) yeah I just uh, look one day maybe at the Mm. moment I've been on my own for uh, a long time and yeah one day who knows who knows
And you still have a close circle of friends around you. Yeah. 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 I love. My friends are great. Did the running continue? Crazy. Bit crazy. Yeah, I do triathlon now. I did my first Ironman last year. Wow. Yeah. So, like, wow. I What's involved in an Ironman? So, well, a swim, well, 3.9k swim, but my swim was actually cancelled down in Cork. Oh. So I didn't get to do the swim. So I might have to revisit that. And then 180k bike and then a marathon. Wow. I did the bike and I did the marathon. And I was delighted. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing yeah. achievement. Yeah. Do you feel it was important for you and your grief to set goals and, you know, give yourself structure, things to look forward to? Yeah, to keep, yeah. Definitely. Things to achieve. Yeah. 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 I think this is, this year, last year was a difficult year. The end of last year was a difficult year for I... a number of reasons. because I had to revisit things that I probably hadn't processed. I also lost somebody that, you know, I fell for somebody and it didn't work out, unfortunately. And it was hard to, to lose that. Yeah. Yeah. And to realize what it was like to have somebody because I don't know that I really ever had both really yeah. in a, like emotionally it didn't really support me in our relationship when I'm, I look back mm. so that's been tough last year so you had that. a relationship where somebody actually mm. was really present mm. to you mm. and it felt good yeah and then the breakup of that mm. brought everything up afresh. Yeah. 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 Ow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was hard, but mm. this year I'm being kind to myself. <laughs> mm. So important. Yeah. Do your parents still worry about you? Yeah, I hope they don't worry as much. Mm. <laughs> mm. But they do. But my mum worries about everybody, you know. <laughs> your mum is gorgeous. <laughs> My mum's yeah. You're lucky to have them. I'm so lucky to They're have lucky. my mum and dad and my three brothers. They're great. They're and they all must great. be so delighted yeah. that you're home yeah. here with them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. And look, you know, last year was tough, but, but really, like, I am lucky and I am happy and... I'm allowed to be sad if I want to be sad. You've been through two massive life my, events. Yeah. Um, and the kids are great. I think it's really hard. And, and they're very, we're very open. You know, we have, I think it's quite nice to keep their dad alive. You know, he was, he was a good man. Yeah. He was a really, really good man. He was a very kind man. He just, just wasn't able I just I just don't yeah he just wasn't able yeah yeah and how do they keep his memory alive well um Maggie has photos of him Maggie has photos of everybody plastered across her whole wall ah, lovely. so they each have a, a box that they keep his 
think he used to wear lots of aftershave. <laughs> so Dylan has his aftershave and his glasses. He mm. always wore glasses and just bits and pieces to remember him by the each other. Mm. A box and letters and things that people wrote to them, which that was one thing that was so lovely when when he died, you know, people wrote to me and um but just to write to the kids, Dylan has all of those letters that people wrote to my friends um yeah and a, 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 a lovely letter from a parent of one of my friends like an older lady it was a, lovely and he ha, he keeps that directly to the yeah, children yeah, it's a lovely idea yeah, yeah a lovely idea and paul's funeral was obviously over in england um and that was i think that was really nice for the kids and they remember that I know it sounds because he was on his own when he died. It was like we, we got him back. Yeah. And that sounds silly. We got him a little bit. Gathered him back back to community. Yeah. And all of, like his friends were there, but they were my friends. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So for for the children to see other people grieving as well. Yeah. It's really vital, isn't it? Thank you so much. You're welcome. Is there anything else, Nika, that you feel is really you'd like to say about it? You know, if there was somebody listening today who's been bereaved by suicide, what words of wisdom or comfort would you offer them? Just, I don't know, take your time and try not to be angry. I know it's a part of grief, but it it's really... Yeah, I found when I got got rid of the anger and accepted what happened and you know, a few few people that said things that, that you know, they didn't mean it, but you know, Paul he didn't do this to make me angry or he didn't do this. I don't feel he just couldn't survive as he was and I just have to accept that's for him he yeah. felt he had no yeah. choice yeah yeah and talk about it like talk about it with the kids and mm. you know Dylan's great and Meg they're great they'll tell their friends that their dad died and if if they want to if people ask them and they want to tell them how he died you know there's nothing the taboo around yeah. suicide really I think it's getting better but it's not something that should be avoided talking about yeah yeah mm. absolutely mm. absolutely yeah. well I wish you and Dylan and Meg thank you all the very best as you navigate yeah. your new life which you've certainly set off at a an amazing mm. pace doing your Ironman last year Mm -hmm. and you've gathered community to you here in Greystones and you really have Mm. made your life again from scratch yeah not everyone could do that yeah and you did it yeah go (laughs) go yeah and I'm sorry that happened to you much as we might prefer the people we become from these incidences mm. in life, none of us would choose it. No. no. Thank you, Nick. You're welcome. <laughs>
なってます Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Shapes of Grief. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical or psychological advice. And if your grief is making you unwell, please do go to your healthcare provider. Grief is a normal part of being human. You're not alone. Once again, please do consider becoming a patron of Shapes of Grief on patreon.com. This is a listener supported podcast, and we rely on your support to keep us going. The music was written by Silly Wizard and performed by Sue Hart and Martin Craddock, especially for the Shapes of Grief podcast. Until the next time, from me, Liz Gleason, stay well and take very good care. On a storm torn shoreline, a woman was standing. The spray hung like jewels in her hair. Mid the rock, the rock of that desolate landing. Oh, as though there were none, she stood there. Superman.